Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat, dinner is served. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Happy Resurrection Day, and in fact, happy Comeback Day. More to that later. You know, as a preacher, uh, I gotta warn you, it's a little dangerous to give me a camera or a pulpit on Easter because I could talk about this forever. But I do know one thing for sure, the mind can only absorb what the bottom can endure. So that being the case, and us being virtual, I highly encourage you to get off of your tushy or your couch or your bed and walk, move while as you listen. Why is that? It's not just because I don't want you to fall asleep. And I mean, my wife will tell you I'm notorious for falling asleep in church. And even when the preacher's super engaging, uh, it's, it's nice lighting, comfy seating. I've been going hard all week, right? I just sit back in the chair and I try to engage, but it doesn't take long before, well, you know, <laughs> nature takes over. And my wife's nudging me, Joe, we go, we go. Not getting much out of that, right? And I've learned, even in my recent studies, that the brain grooves when the body moves. And so I would, I would say, this is a great opportunity for us. We're, we're stuck in COVID, so we can't be together, which is, is really unfortunate. However, that being the case, and you being able to take me with you mobile and listen to the message wherever you wish, I would encourage you that if you're not already, get on a bike, take a walk, take the video with you so that your brain synapses are firing on many levels and you're walking and biking and it releases all sorts of great endorphins and serotonin, which makes your mind really more receptive to what you're listening to. Plus, it also creates these receptors in your brain that make the message stick. The harsh and somewhat depressing reality is for any public speaker, for a pastor, is that statistically, most of you will forget pretty much everything I say. 80% or more, statistics would say, because it just doesn't stick in your brain. However, what I do know as well is that people often forget what you say, but they don't forget how you made them feel. And so I think that's the way God designed it. Rather than resign myself to uh, oblivion, uh, I'm going to intentionally communicate to you something that has transformed my life in a way that hopefully I can transfer that energy to you so that you can feel too how important, how revolutionary, how transformative this experience is. This experience of being part of God's family, being adopted by God, where he's my dad, right? Like many people, I come from a, a broken family. There was divorce in my family, but I, I got attached to Jesus, and Jesus got attached to me really early on. I was six or seven years old, went to church regularly, went to mass. In fact, I was really into it. I, I became an altar boy. I had the whole mass memorized. You know, I knew when to sit, when to stand, when to kneel, when to ring the bells, all that kind of stuff. I knew a lot about God. Uh, I knew lots of theology. 
God was on the forefront of my mind a lot because we went to Mass a lot. I went to a Catholic school from first through fifth grade. Um, but there was a moment, there was this moment in my life when I was about age seven, and my mom took us to this concert, a Christian concert, and there's all these young people on the stage, and they're really good musicians, and they're fun, and they're dancing, they're telling stories about, you know, being a Jesus follower, and, and how much fun it is, and how exciting it is, and how revolutionary it is, and I hadn't really heard it in those terms before. For me, Jesus was a, a pretty gruesome image made out of plastic, painted, and stuck on a, on a cross, hanging in the, in the church, and for me, it was, it was really, there was this awe and reverence, but it was also a distance. So these young people at the end of the concert, they, they said something like, hey, if you two want to have a relationship with Jesus where he'll be your friend and God will be your father and you can be adopted into his family, come on forward and we'd love to talk to you about it. And I'm like, is that even possible? This is, this is like a, a, a revolution, a, a brand new idea for me and, you know, childlike faith. So I, I'm like, I raise my hand, I, I run down the aisles and prayed this, I was led in this prayer about, hey, Jesus, uh, if you're real, this sounds really cool. If you're, if you're not just still stuck on a cross somewhere, this, this sounds exciting where I do want, Jesus, I do want you to be my friend. I do want you to live inside my heart, whatever that means. I don't really know, but I do want you to, to be with me at all times. And I do want to have God of the universe as my dad. And, and really, it was a transformation. It is a transformation, a revolution in my life where God went from a, a cultural artifact and lots of head knowledge to an experience where I was transformed from the inside out. And so to go back to a family life that is less than ideal and imploding and painful at times, um, I just go in my room, close the door, get on my knees and say, God, I need you. I need you to be here and really physically sense his presence and picture in my mind him wrapping his arms around me. You know, and I've said before that a lot of people like to call themselves Christ followers who are Christians, and, and I totally understand that. I get that. I, too, want to follow Christ. But for me, that's, that's not even good enough. You know, I don't want to be just following behind. I want to be right up beside him. And there's a scripture that says that God will keep us under the shadow of his wings. So I just picture this big mother hen or a goose or a duck, and all the ducklings are tucked right underneath their wing. In fact, if you don't look closely, sometimes you don't even know they're there. Wow, that's, you know, following after Jesus is fine, but the view isn't that great, <laughs> right? But if I'm tucked up underneath his wings, I feel safe, I feel protected. And then there are times when God says, okay, time to learn to fly, time to go out on your own, forge out of ways. I'm not, I'm not gonna be far away. And I've observed this, you know, in the ponds too, where the mother duck is watching carefully, never lets the little ducks get too far away so that then she can jump in and help as needed. But I'm like, yeah, I, I am a Christ follower, but I also wanna be like, in his armpit, right? I just want to be as close to Jesus as possible. So that began the journey for me that it went way beyond head knowledge and theology and religion, um, which can become, you know, interesting, but not necessarily transforming to a relationship. And, and I've learned since that God is all about relationships. Jesus came to reconcile relationships, uh, us to our own selves, us to each other, us to God. And in fact, God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in his own being is a relationship. The theology is way beyond me, but all that to say, there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and they are in ever 
they're ever in communion, in relationship with each other. So that's the model. And, and if, if God created us in his image, then of course we're intended to be in relationship. Unfortunately, due to our own selfishness and our sin and, our, and all the ambitions that we have and the brokenness and the pain that we felt, um, that, that gets crushed, right? And then, then we tend to implode. So for me, um, when the humans around me didn't seem to be very reliable, uh, I just thought, I'll just depend on God, just me and God. That's not a bad place to start. That's actually a great place to start. But then I grew to become, I guess I would say, too independent of others, where I can do it myself. I'll figure this out. I don't want to have to depend on somebody because they're going to fail me or they might hurt me or it's going to make me vulnerable. I even was talking with a friend of mine saying that there was a long time in my life when I, I couldn't even cry. I'd been intimidated so many times. I'd been, you know, belittled so many times, forced to tears that something inside of me just broke and it shut down. So from the time I was about 14 until the birth of my daughter at age 40 or 41, I rarely, if ever, cried. And it wasn't because I was like, no, you know, real men don't cry and you can't force me to. It was because something had broken inside. So even as a Christ follower in communion, in relationship with God, God's saying, that's good. That's a great place to start. But I'm also about God saying, I'm also about relationships, about re reconciling, healing the wounds inside of me so that I can be in healthy relationships and, and mutually learning and growing and knowing full well that people will disappoint me. So I don't put my trust completely in people, that's that's not a great way to go. I put my trust completely in God, but that doesn't mean then I keep myself shielded from people because God is all about reconcile, reconciliation. In fact, Easter and Jesus' death, you could say very accurately, is all about reconciliation, that we had been separated from God. We, we have been separated from each other. Humanity has, right, in, throughout history. So Jesus came to solve that, to provide reconciliation healing, forgiveness, restoration through his death because he paid the price of our mess-ups. He paid the price of our sins. He, he paid the ultimate price so that we would have a way. In fact, the early Christian church was called the way. We would have a way to have communion with God, communion with each other. Communion, that's a, that's a Jesus word, right? Communion comes from the Last Supper, which was in Holy Week. So Thursday in the Catholic tradition is called Maundy Thursday. Some of you may have heard of that, some of you haven't. Monday really is a, you know, a Christian word put over the top of it. it, just means a new edict or a new commandment, really a new way, um, where Jesus was turning authority on its head, was turning the way of the world on its head, and where before the Last Supper, Jesus gets down and he starts to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, in our society, we don't really understand how mind-blowing that was for the disciples. First of all, they wear sandals most of the time, and they're in a society where there's no pavement, so their feet are filthy, right? That's one thing. So it's kind of a gross job. Nobody really wants that. But even more so, Jesus, because of his status as a rabbi, as a teacher, he would never, ever have to stoop down to that level where he would wash someone's feet. That was the job of a servant or a slave or whatever it was in that time. People that were 
of much lower status. And Jesus, as a teacher, as a rabbi, had a high status in society. So the very last thing that anybody would ever expect, including his followers, would be for him to wash his feet. And Jesus is saying, this is really important. You gotta get this. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Peter, who I can totally identify with, he's like, no way, you're not washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. Don't even do that. And Jesus rebukes him, rebukes him harshly. He even says, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he was saying, this is a temptation that you have to get over because if you don't get this, you don't get me, Jesus says, because here's the new rule. Here's the new edict. Here's the new concept that I'm trying to establish. Here's the new kingdom. The greatest among you is the servant of all. The way to greatness, the way to success, the way to significance is not through your own grandeur in your own accomplishments. It's in your service to others, not in a, in a way that is demeaning, not in a way that's um, not healthy or codependent, but a choice. So Jesus, he obviously didn't have to wash the feet of the disciples. He chose to as an act of service, act of kindness, an act of love, and to show, hey, you know, the best way to have a relationship is not, I'm better than you. I don't have to do that, that's beneath me. We have so much of that built into our structure of our society that tears at the fabric of our relationships. It's, it's tearing us apart. I mean, you don't have to look very far to see this playing out all around us. Social media is just you know amplifying this as well. And Jesus says, there is a better way. True greatness, and you see this in the, in the gurus in almost every faith and almost every religion, that they say, they finally get to the place of enlightenment, they may call it, where they realize that the true meaning of life, the, the place where fulfillment is, the place where love is found, the, places, the place that we're all after is found in giving yourself away. This is a biblical principle. Jesus says, you plant the seeds, whatever you sow, you will reap. And not just reap like one-to-one, -one, I give you this much, you give it back to me, but in giving away, then you reap a harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold, the Bible says, right? The power of multiplication. And so even on the most selfish basis, you could follow that and say, okay, I want the biggest reward. So how do I get that? I plant the most seed. I give the most away. But Jesus says, well, that's one way to go, but there's even a better way where you give it all away with nothing, expecting nothing in return, and you will be blessed beyond measure, more than you could ever ask or even think. And there's the story I heard recently, and I can't remember ex exactly who it was. I think it was Henry Nowen, uh, a famous Christian author and apologist, and he was writing in his own memoirs about how towards the end of his life, he and his wife had been married for many years and she was deteriorating uh, physically, her health was going, she was succumbing to Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And so there got to a point where Henry would continue to go and be with her in her hospital room or wherever she was, where at some point she didn't even recognize him. She had no idea who he was or why he was there. She wasn't even appreciative, you know, she'd be afraid or like, get out of here, who are you? And he would continue to go because of his love for her and the relationship that they had and he, he would serve her uh, even though there was no reciprocity. There was nothing to receive. It was just an act of love and obedience. But what really caught me about that story is that Henry Nouwen characterized that where people were asking him, well, isn't that, isn't that really hard? She doesn't even know that you're there. Why do you keep doing that? And, and you know, that's got to be so taxing on you, so difficult. And Henry said, oh no, you got it wrong. This is the sweetest love 
our relationship has ever had. And they're like, what are you talking about? He said, finally, our relationship isn't based on transaction, right? When I love my wife, I, I can't expect anything return because she, she can't return anything to me. So now my act of love and cherishing and taking care of her has nothing to do with me. It's not about what I'm going to get back. It's, it's a giving away. He did receive his reward, but it wasn't in this transactional relationship that most of us have, even with some of the people that are closest to us. So what I'd like to read for you today um, is an excerpt from my friend Lee Free's book. Lee and I go back to college days. We toured uh, camps all across the Western United States in the summertime, and we had a blast. We, we made a great friendship uh, all these miles on the road where we'd have deep discussions and about life and about God. And uh, so fast forward many years later, I lost touch with Lee. I had no idea where he was most of the time. Um, and we just got in touch just a few weeks ago. And Lee is, you know, he's, I love the man. He, he has a filter or a lens through which he sees the world like no other person I know. So he can see in a very common, ordinary moment, God at work. And so he's written a series of essays, which originally were just Facebook posts, and now compiled them into a book that hasn't yet to be published called God Moments. And one of his observations is about Easter, which I'll read to you now. So Lee writes, Easter, he's back. Tiger Woods overcame adversity, confronted the past, beat his demons, and once again distinguished himself as one of the most on one of the most prestigious platforms in the world. We understand when he came back and won the Masters after all the stuff he'd gone through. Michael Jordan called it the greatest comeback in history. President Trump awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The whole world was cheering. But things in God's kingdom, they work differently. One day, oh, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, the first Easter, a few women walked to his tomb in the dawn moments. Because they were female, they were of low social status in their culture. Even worse, one of them, Mary Magdalene, was renowned to have a sordid past. These of all Jesus' followers took on the unpleasant menial task of preparing his body for burial after he'd been crucified. And here's the wonderful surprise. These invisible, uncelebrated servants were the first to see Jesus alive. <laughs> and isn't that just how Jesus does it? Jesus celebrates the servants, and I would say the invisibles. So are you a teacher, a sanitation expert, a soldier, a cook, a mother, a father, a cashier, a nurse, a combination of any of those or all of those? Do you serve with little or no recognition? Our world is obsessed with trivia and novelty, and they may not acknowledge your efforts. You may never be called to the Oval Office to receive a medal, but your Creator, your Father in Heaven sees you, and He's pleased. Your faithfulness matters to Him. So on Resurrection Sunday, today, on Easter, and every day, as you recognize the actual greatest comeback in history, not Michael Jordan, not Tiger Woods, but Jesus Christ, who was crucified, dead, was in a tomb for three days, and yet broke the chains of hell and sin and death and came out of the tomb, the greatest comeback of all time. Be encouraged, the living one, he is alive, who is coming back to make all things right when he comes back for us, he recognizes you. Let that sink in. God recognizes you. No matter how insignificant you feel, no, no matter how long you think you've been looked over, 
how many doors have been closed on you. But the truth is the same, and, and I feel it. I have lived it, feeling I was put on the shelf. I was overlooked. I wasn't given a voice at the table. My opinion didn't matter. My contributions were misunderstood. Well, I was looking for success in all the wrong places. And what I've come to realize over time, that really was a blessing in disguise. Because had I achieved or attained the success in the way I defined it back then, praise, adoration, recognition, money, power, prestige, all of those things, it probably would have imploded my soul. But by toiling and being faithful in the unseen activities, which I have come to realize are the most important activities of being uh, an honorable child of God, of being a good father, of working through issues with my wife, of all the relationships that I'm in, allowing God to reconcile those things, that's true success because God defines success so different than we do. There's often this trajectory in life, especially among accomplished businessmen, that they go from pursuits of success to turning the corner as they start to sense retirement coming and their own mortality to where they want to, they want to pursue significance. So that's like a legacy. They want to establish a legacy and that becomes far more important than, than all the other things they could attain. And Jesus is saying, what if you start there? What if you define success as significance, significant in your relationship with me and the people you love and let that pour out and realize that when I, when I look down at you, I don't see you as invisible or, or that you have a name tag and so you're defined by the position in your organization um, what you have seen as roadblocks or as doors closed, that's not a surprise to God. It's not like he's like, oh, that's not what I intended, and they've, they've, they've blown it again. We do blow it all along, but we can't thwart God's sovereignty. Another big Christian word, sovereignty. Ultimately, the buck stops there. God is in charge, right? And so I've come to believe now at the later stages of my life, and I was feeling, oh, you know, retirement's coming, and what have I done with my life, and what a waste, and, and I even got to the point maybe a year ago where I felt like, is this it? Maybe this is all there is. And it was like a, a thing of resignation. And God has really worked in my heart, primarily through conversations, right? Through dialogue with other people who's, who know me, like me, trust me, love me, and want what's best for me, including my God and my Savior. And they said, no, it, this is a mind shift. Actually, it's a heart shift. So that I don't define my success or my significance on what I've achieved or what I've attained but on the fact that the kingdom of God, some would say, turns the world upside down. And I would say the kingdom of God turns the world right side up so that the servants, they're the ones that God sees and knows and loves and real reward. And that they're the ones that will stand before God in eternity. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful CEO. Well done, my good and faithful influencer. No, no, the Bible says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's built in. This servant leadership is what Jesus is all about. He, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet he chooses to serve those beneath him, making himself the form of a servant, considering others as better than himself. This is all biblical principle, so that at the end of time, when eternity is ahead of us, not behind us, where we go from the land of the living, well, we call it the land of living to the land of the dying. That's our perspective, right? And God says, oh, no, no. In the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. We are now in the land of the dying. And of course, the older I get, the more I believe that. And heaven 
Eternity is the land of the living. So when we make that transition from the land of the dying to the land of the living, I don't know about you, but I want to stand before my Savior, my God, my Daddy, and I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, if I don't choose servanthood, servant leadership, he's not going to say that, right? So let that sink in, let that marinate, let that work on your heart and your mind to pray, God, do that work in me. Transform my mind and my heart. Do a heart shift in me so that my priorities become your priorities. The way I evaluate success is significance and impact in your kingdom, not as the world would define it. There are so many voices coming from so many places that will try to dilute that message, to confuse you, to contradict that message, to say, what are you talking about? That's foolish. And so take that as an encouragement. In fact, the Bible says God, God's ways are not our ways. You know, his ways are higher and better than our ways. And he will use what seems like foolishness to confound the wise. So let that sink in. Let that become your mantra. And, you know, repentance is another big Christian word. Repentance really just means to turn away, to, to go a different direction. Actually, to turn 180 degrees and go the opposite way. And if we don't repent, that we continue on our own path towards destruction rather than on the path of life. But I think sometimes we get overwhelmed, like, really, it's, it's like going on a diet. You're trying to quit some sort of addicted drugs, cold turkey. And, and so I would suggest take small, significant steps that are sustainable. Four S's, small, significant steps that are sustainable that will slowly turn that ship of your life away from your own selfish ambitions and misperceptions about what is truly important to line up with God's kingdom, God's principles, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you've taken Jesus off of the cross and you've put him in your heart and you know that he's alive because he lives in me. He lives in me. Jesus is alive. Let him live in you and through you. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.